Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Dr. Jean Bereson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Hey, everybody. Today we're going to get kind of abstract. We've been talking about really concrete things, different illnesses that kids might suffer, different um, issues in society that kids might have to grapple with. Today we're going to talk about ethics and morality and specifically how we get kids to think in ways that we'll be proud of and that they'll be proud of later on. Sort of sort of the golden rule, and I hate to reduce it to that because the golden rule do unto others as they would do unto you, I think only begins to touch on it. I think the more interesting question isn't so much why the golden rule is worth talking about, but how we get our kids to understand and value those rules as we go forward. How do we do that? Well, let me start with a story that is familiar to everybody. So Joey wants to go out. Parents say, no way. He, How old is Joey? Joey's uh, 17. Okay. So he's uh, driving. He's driving on his own. So he sneaks out of the house when the parents are asleep. He figures, I'll just take the car out. And, and I, I never did anything like no, this. And, ever. Uh, and he parties, uh, but unfortunately he comes back a I partied at the library. Out of sorts. Yeah, go ahead. But the bottom line is, you know, the parents know that something went wrong because the car is parked in a different place. They find beer cans and all kinds of other alcoholic containers in the car, and they go up to his room and he's crashed out in his bed. And there's a fifth, a fifth of vodka right next to his bed. They wake him up and they say, you know, what happened? And Joey said, uh, nothing. So obviously he's lying. Obviously he broke the rules. Obviously he did something that you know, testing the limits. And teenagers. We'll test the limits. This is pretty extreme, but I'm sure many families I don't, have experienced it. Actually, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think it's that extreme. I'll bet you almost every one of us <laughs> have either themselves experienced or, or one seen of us have done kids. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think this is what happens. It and, is. you know, p- part of what we tell the, the parents we work with is you just hope your kids survive their stupid mistakes. Right. Because we all know about near misses. We've all lived near misses. So, and we, so, 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 the so, the, so the reflex is to kind of punish the kid, you know, just, you know. But punishment alone doesn't work. So to get a little more abstract, here's the process. First of all, almost all kids get caught. And there's a reason why they get caught because they need parents to basically say, you can't do that. It's just like when the two-year-old is going to put a fork in the life socket or pull a cat's tail or pinch their brother or sister and then they start walking around saying no, no, no. So kids need to know the limits. But it's more than just punishing them. Kids need to have an opportunity to kind of make amends, to make reparations, to kind of be grounded. But then – why? Because they need to do something about their I'm guilt. I'm just going to play the role no, no. of sort of pushing back. Well, Why? They, they, they need to do something with their guilt. What if they don't? Well, then, then they're going to be living with guilty feelings. Unresolved guilt is a horrible thing to live with because eventually it makes you feel like you're a really bad person. So, so what you're saying – and I'm pushing back deliberately yeah. here. I agree with everything you're saying is if you have this guilt and if you don't have an opportunity to discharge it by doing good works in some way, making amends in some kissing way. Kissing and making up, making right. amends and then kissing and making up and resolving that guilt through kind of taking your punishment, taking whatever – you know, whatever grounding or whatever limits If you limits don't have parents. that, then you internalize the sense that you are yourself bad right. rather than you did a bad thing. And, and let me take it a step further. There's role modeling that parents do. So the example I used in the blog where the parent comes home from work 
which happened to be me, and the kid's pulling at your leg saying, Daddy, 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 and you say, will you get away from me? And then the kid bursts into tears, and then you realize that you screwed up and you feel guilty. What do you do? You pick the kid up. You say, I'm really sorry. You apologize, and then you say, let me just put my stuff down and we'll play. Why is that? It's parallel process. What we do, we screw up. We we do wrong things. We don't always get it right. But what we have to teach the children is that we can own our mistakes. We can apologize, you know, and then we can kind of make up for it in some way. And then we don't feel terribly and chronically guilty as parents. But the kids see that both adults and kids screw up from time to time, and that there's got to be a way to work this out. It ends up resulting in seeing ourselves and others as being both good and bad, loved and hated, right and wrong. I don't, I don't think it has to be that binary. It, we end up seeing ourselves as comfortably flawed. Right? Oh, that's a good idea. That's, that's, a, that's a good like, way of putting like, it. Like you're neither – you're never all it's, good it's not or all bad. You're right. never all – I think what you see is that we're human and humans make mistakes and you can come home yeah. from work and be tired. Because I worry if we tell parents, you know, the kid tugs on your leg and you say, get away from me and then you feel bad. It's awfully hard to shake off that feeling right away. You might say to your wife, husband, spouse, partner, whatever, you know what? I need 15 minutes right now. Can you just right. take care of Billy? Well, and then I'm going to come out and I'll be well, a better person. Or you could say to the kid, I'm putting myself in timeout. Yeah. And, 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 and I need a timeout. And then you come back and you and you kiss and make up. But all of this is about modeling a way to maintain a kind of uh, moral stance on the world so that you feel better about who you are and so that your kids can then get lessons on how they can feel about better who they are. And it also is a way that kids realize and we want them to realize that there's conflict. Inevitably, there's going to be conflict in the world with their peers, with their teachers, with their coaches, you name it. And that there's got to be a mechanism to kind of make up for when you really do something that's out of line or when or, or, or when you just need to kind of talk about it and resolve the conflict. Well, wait, so are you saying you never punish? No, punishments are actually an important part of this. Because like, like what, like spanking or hitting them? Or no, no, no. I, well, I don't think spanking is a good idea for a number of reasons. Number one, it doesn't resolve anything. It doesn't take away the guilt. And what it does, it just instills fear. And it also, it shows the kid that if you're wrong, you get hit. So so wrong behavior equals take violent action. And that's the way you resolve the conflict. It doesn't resolve the conflict. It's just violence begetting violence. So what's, what's a punishment that you would like grounding. Uh, grounding is a punishment, taking away privileges. I mean, look, kids may feel, we all may feel that we deserve privileges, but frankly, we earn them. You you do a good job as a as a kid or as a parent. You know, you you do nice things for others, you get rewards. We we want to reward good behavior. So, so I'm glad you brought that up because it's I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but but this is we think of these rewards and I've had parents say but isn't that just a bribe, doctor? Aren't you just telling me to bribe my child after they've done something bad and I've grounded them and now I'm bribing them with something to well, make let up me for ask, it? Well, let me ask you neurobiologically. We're wired to go towards the positive rather than 
necessarily avoid the negative, right? Yeah, yeah. and in fact, there's a fancy word for that. It's affiliative behavior. In fact, it looks like it's tied to oxytocin and other other hormones that are secreted in your brain, and they make us want to be with each other in a positive way. And the way we do that is by giving one another rewards. If you're a primate, you do it by grooming. We don't typically groom our kids, but we might reward them in some ways. In the same way that you and I reward ourselves, we've had a hard day, by stopping and getting a frappuccino or something. We, we also know that in the workplace, incentives work much better than working with employees through fear or through punishments or being docked. So, so rewards are really things that we use from childhood onward to kind of help reinforce affiliative, social, proactive, good behavior. So what we're talking about then, we started talking about morality, how to, how to make – our kids, help our kids to lead ethically um, sound lives, lives about which they can be proud. And what we've really gotten to, I think, is methods that help our kids to internalize a sense of who they are so that they can be proud of themselves. And so that they can be connected and care for others. So so the process we're talking about is having a sound sense of, of yourself that you can be proud of and being connected and embodying the golden rule helping others, being altruistic, being good to other people, enhances self-esteem and it's reinforced. And it, 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 so it's both for the self and it's for others as well at okay. the same time. Okay. So as we, as we wrap this up, let me just ask you a, a little bit of a provocative question. Um, we're both child psychiatrists. Parents come see us all the time. Every now and then I'll have a parent come in and the parent will say to me, look, you can tell me all you want to that it's not okay for me to spank my kid. But my mom spanked me or my dad spanked me. It works. I'm fine. Give me a good reason not to. And even if you do, I'm still going to do it. What do you do as their doctor then? That's a real tough one. And, you know, uh, here in Massachusetts, the, you know, the Supreme Judicial Court first said that spanking was a reasonable form of, of punishment for disobedience. And then it said if you spank your kids, you can't be foster parents. So they're, they're waffling too. There's a lot of controversy about spanking. I think that it has to do in some ways with the culture. So some culture is actually, it's been done for generation and generation after generation after generation. I just say to the parent, are there other ways that you can let your kid know that this is unacceptable behavior rather than using corporal punishment? So for example, if your kid had a friend that stole something, would you say, punch him out? I would not say punch him out. I, I recognize that was a rhetorical question, but yeah, I would I know, not it say is punch him out. That's yeah. right. Well, would you say they deserve to be spanked or do they deserve to be they deserve to be physical violence? So in other words, what I'm getting at is physical violence is one means of punishment and it's very controversial. The American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, plenty of organizations do not believe that that spanking is a reasonable or a good form of punishment because it's basically using violence. It's using violence to promote good behavior. You know, the other problem with it, it's, it's blunt. It has no meaning associated with it. And there's no resolution to it. I mean, right. so how does the kid – so the kid gets spanked. The kid's feeling guilty. The kid gets spanked. Then what does the kid feel? The kid still feels guilty. And the kid fears the parent, and the reason the kid doesn't do it again is because they're they're living their life through fear. Do we want to li- have our kids and adults live a life through fear or live a life through, if I do the right thing, I'll get 
some rewards. I'll get incentives. I'll, I'll, I'll get good feedback rather than avoiding the fear and harsh punishment like spanking or moving towards the positive. Okay, so – I know I said we were wrapping up. This is my final question in this sort of But did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, you did. It, it, but what do you tell your patients? Do, um, you, do, do, you, do you say Pretty this? much the same thing. You look, I'm not going to tell a patient I won't work with you if you do that. What I will say is um, tell me how it worked for you when you were growing up. Yeah. And then I'll say what culture were you from? You know, maybe they were from a culture that's from maybe not. And there are plenty of cultures where, where spanking is the rule. And in those cultures, it actually may be entirely appropriate because it's culturally consistent. Yes. But if you're doing something that's outside of the norms of the culture in which you're raising your kid, then the kid can't help but to feel singled out in a way that's different. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I tell them. And the what I would is. say is is that you have to abide by kind of the norms of your culture and the community within which you're living. And so I would tell them that I'm not in favor of the spanking, but I'll say – Let's talk about something a little different. You use a punishment, whether it's spanking or whatever. What comes next? What do you do for follow-up? Do you do anything? And then what do you think the consequences are of just leaving it with a punishment without a resolution? Right. So this is where I was going to go. If you here, – here's a benign example. Let's say an 8-year-old eats all the cookies and he wasn't supposed to. Not the worst thing on earth, but something he wasn't supposed to do. You don't take away his Nintendo, whatever, his game console. You might say, tomorrow, we're going to make cookies for the whole family. You might not want to do that, but that's how you're going to make reparations. You ate all the cookies. We're going to make more and make them available for everybody. So you tie the thing that you're having them do to the thing that they did so they have a way of undoing it. Now, my final question for you, you brought me back to my Hebrew school days. I remember, I think it's an Old Testament quote, you spare the rod and spoil the child. We've got to interpret that allegorically now. We can't interpret that directly or else we're all in favor of hitting kids with a with a metal stick. So how would you interpret that from an allegorical stance? I'm not sure what you mean, but, but – What I mean is when I read that statement, a statement I actually agree with, I don't think it really means if you spare the rod. In other words, you don't use a rod to hit your kid, then you risk willing your child. Well, I you think, spoil the child in plenty of other ways besides the rod. I, I mean, think that, that's what it means. I mean, for example, we spoil our kids more by giving them everything and anything they want regardless of what they do. And that kind of giving says, you know, teaches the child, I'm entitled to anything I want. So they become more and more entitled and demanding and feeling that they deserve everything, no matter what their behavior and, and, and is. And also insecure because they never know when to live. So land. we want to tie behavior, we want to tie giving, whether it's kisses or hugs or material objects or whatever it is, to pro social and pro active, positive behavior. And again, it's a matter of earning it and feeling that that I do deserve this behavior. And so that's the way I would interpret Spear of the Rod. That's exactly what I was thinking. So limitlessness with your kid is the same thing as abusing them in some way. You need to set those limits so those kids know where they and, have to and, stop. And you know, just, just as we wrap it up, We've said about three times. Um, I've worked with a lot of kids who we used to call delinquents or now we call them kids with conduct disorder over the years. I call them delinquent kids with conduct disorder. But but what's interesting to me is they've never said nobody ever loved me. What they typically say is there was nobody there to say no. There was nobody to say to say don't cross that line because what these kids really need and want is a parent, a mentor – some adult figure to say, you know, this is just not acceptable. 
I agree, but look, there's probably people listening to this who don't. If you happen not to agree with us, we would love to hear from you. If you do agree with us, we'd love to hear from you. But this is a controversial issue, so um, let us know your thoughts. For now, I'm Steve Schlossman. I'm Gene Bresson. Thanks. Thanks.